Now, people who um, don't go to church much, sometimes they find the things that we do a little bit weird, um, or at least they wonder about them. Uh, so, you know, for instance, I mentioned that, you know, today we're observing the Lord's Supper, and, um, you know, a lot of folks wonder, well, what's, what's the deal with that? Um, and so we're going to talk about that today. Uh, we're also, you know, Second Baptist Church. Another thing that we do is we baptize people. And so folks who aren't familiar with church are like, well, what's that about? Because we often immerse people. Like, well, you know, how long do you hold them under? What? what? <laughs> um, and, and really, in our, in our culture, a lot of folks... Um, they can count on their hand how many times they have been to a church service, right? Especially if you're under 30, a lot of times, you know, you might have gone like six times a wedding or a funeral. And so a lot of the things, um, yeah, folks wonder about. But even us Christians who have been, you know, go to church a lot, if you're from a different tradition, you also might wonder, well, how do, you know, that church, how do they do the Lord's Supper? And, and why do we call it communion? They call it the Lord's Supper. And uh, some people call it the Eucharist. Well, what we're going to see today is that um, all of these things, they're symbols that remind us and help us to walk the walk. You see, our, our sermon series is Walking the Walk, and we've been talking about what does it mean to walk the walk of faith? It's walking in God's promises. And as we'll discover that walking in God's promises, God does something where he often, when he makes promises to his people, which are also called covenants, all right, a group of promises is a covenant. Uh, and when he makes these promises with his people, he often gives them symbols to remember and to help us walk in those promises, to remember them and then live them out. And that's the same with the Lord's Supper, as we will see. Now, we're not that big on covenants, you know, you know, here in the United States. We don't hear much about covenants, but one of the covenants that we are familiar with that we still do is the covenant of marriage. Right? Now, marriage should be a covenant and should be thought of that as a covenant, but the, the, the covenant of marriage, and think about it, there's an initiation ceremony that goes on called the wedding ceremony, and that marks off where, all right, you're going from being a, a single person to now into a, a new family. And that, that wedding ceremony, it's a covenant initiation, right? You're entering into a covenant. And that's why the ceremony is important. And then with that ceremony, all right, I can't get it off my sausage fingers, but, you know, you often have a, uh, a wedding ring. And that wedding ring is a symbol of the vows so that whenever you look at it, it reminds you of those covenant promises that were exchanged. So, see, we understand we have covenants and, and marriage is an example of that. And it's, it's similar to baptism in that baptism is an initiation into a new family, the family of God. But also, after you're married, you don't just like, yeah, I did that, so I don't have to think about that again. No, you walk in your marriage, right? You walk in the covenant. You live that out, that marriage, those marriage vows. And we have things that help us do that, like anniversary celebrations, right? Every year, you, may, you hopefully like go out to eat or you do something special because it's reminding you and it's helping you walk in those marriage vows. And even more than that, you gather together, hopefully as a family, and have a meal together 
as a way of celebrating and remembering and helping one another walk in your identity, your new identity as you know, husband or wife or family member. And that's similar to the Lord's Supper that we oftentimes, we gather and we remember and have this meal together, this bread and cup as a way to help us remember the promises that the covenant that God uh, uh, did through Christ. So, yeah, we're talking about covenants again. And and last week, I, I went through the whole Bible and yeah, well, I'm going to do it again because, you know, it's just, uh, we, we need this repetition. Um, and in the, in, in the scriptures, because walking the walk means walking in God's promises, walking in his covenants. That's what we look from Genesis to Revelation, that God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. He's a covenant-making, a covenant-keeping God. And that throughout the scriptures, we see God making promises, making covenants with his people. And last week, we, uh, so we can talk about Abraham. He, well, he made a covenant with Adam, with Noah. And, and then last week, we looked at Abraham, makes a covenant with King David. And as we'll see today, he also makes uh, a new covenant through Christ. But when we read the scriptures, it often will talk about that these people walked in the way of the Lord. In other words, they lived out the covenants in their lives. They lived out the promises of God in their lives. And we see, again, that these covenants, wherever they were made and whoever they were made with, they often came with symbols, symbols to remind people of those covenant promises. Last week, we talked about Abram or Abraham and how God made a covenant with him and um, that even when Abraham was 80 years old, God said, you know, Abraham, I am going to make you into a mighty nation. Many descendants are going to come from you, and then those descendants, I'm going to give this land, and it's called the promised land. And even though Abraham was 80 years old and he was past childbearing age, it says in Genesis 15:6, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, God, Abraham says, I'm not going to trust my circumstances. I'm not going to trust my feelings or what I see. I'm trusting in your promises. And we see that is one of the, the, the ways that throughout the scriptures we walk the walk is by walking in God's promises. And Abraham is an example of that. And that's what God's after. And, and so God said, yes, Abraham, um, you know, because you've trusted in my promises, I'm going to consider you and me right. We're right together. But then right after that, I want you to read Genesis, the rest of Genesis 15, because then God makes a covenant. He cuts, he, he has a ceremony with Abraham to solidify, if you will, this covenant that he's going to make with him. And in, in the Hebrew, it doesn't, when it says, just translated, God made a covenant, it though literally it says he cut a covenant. Because what God does in, in, in Genesis 15, and I mentioned this last week, is that he says, all right, Abraham, get some animals, cut those animals in half, and then lay them on either side. And then when you made a covenant, you cut a covenant with someone, and this wasn't just between God and, this was um, not just God and Abraham made covenants. In that day, kings would make covenants with one another, and they would pass through these cut up animals as a way of saying that if I don't keep my end of the covenant, let me be cut asunder, if you will, uh, like these animals. My life will be forfeit. 
And we see that in Genesis 15, God in a form of a, of a, a flame passes through those cut up animals. And what we, oft, what we Genesis 15 doesn't say, but what uh, happened when those covenants were made at that time, in the time of Abraham, is that after, like for instance, kings made covenants with one another, they would then take those animals and they would have a feast. They would eat the, the animals together as a way of saying, all right, we've established a new covenant bond between us, a new familial bond, so let's show that fellowship now by having this meal together, taking these animals and having a feast as a way to show our new relationship. So Abraham, all right, he, God makes this covenant with him. He gives him a symbol of the, the covenant, and that's circumcision. So there's always symbols to remember God's promises. And then God fulfills his promises to Abraham. Again, I know we talked about this last week, but since we're covering thousands of years, I think it's okay to review. Um, <laughs> and and he, he um, fulfills those promises to Abraham. Abraham has, many, has a child and, then, and many children, and they grow generation after generation. They become, as God promised, a mighty nation. And this nation is actually grows and becomes big enough to be a nation when they're enslaved in Egypt. And God says, all right, now is the time for me to fulfill some of my promises to Abraham. So I promised them not only that he would be a mighty nation, but I promised him this land for his, his descendants. So God, through Moses, he rescues Israel out of bondage in Egypt. It's called the Exodus, and he starts to bring them to the promised land, the land he had promised Abraham. And guess what God does with this new people? He makes a covenant with them. He makes another covenant, and it's the covenant of Moses. So as he's, as, he's, as he's bringing the people out of slavery from Egypt into the promised land, into Israel, he goes to Mount Sinai. And on Mount Sinai, he's going to call this people. He's going to make a covenant with this new nation. And as a nation, they were to be set apart. They were going to be different from the surrounding peoples. They were going to be a nation of priests, people who, a, a nation that showed, wait, God, Yahweh, he is the one and only God. And we're going to follow him and we're going to point the world to this one and only creator God. And so he makes a covenant with him. And then God says, all right, this covenant, there's some things I want you to do to maintain this family relationship. So for instance, don't have any other gods before me first commandment, and also don't murder one another, don't steal from one another. These are the things. And, and he's saying this is how we maintain this proper relationship. But we're going to see this covenant being ratified in Exodus 24. Okay, so Exodus 24 verse 3 says, Moses, he came and he told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. Okay, it's a covenant. They're saying, yes, we agree to the covenant. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and he put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. 
Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and he sprinkled it. He threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So once again, we see this connection between making a covenant and blood and, sac and, 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 and sacrifice and blood and all that stuff. Why? Well, because this is a life promise. Again, in that time, it's like this is life or death. If, if, this, if I break this covenant, let my blood be spilt. And so every covenant is made with blood. But what we often don't realize is that after, many times in the, in, the, um, in the covenant of Moses, that whole sacrificial system, it continues. So in other words, if you break the covenant, what do you do? Well, then you bring another animal and have that sacrifice because God says, in my grace, you, instead of you giving your life, because that's what the covenant's about, this animal can take your place. But what we often don't realize is that some of those animals, when you brought them for sacrifice, yes, you'd have that sin offering, you'd have a dedication offering to say, now I'm consecrated to God, and then you'd have a fellowship offering. And what that was is that you would eat that sacrifice in the temple precincts as a way of saying, God and me, we're okay now. The covenant has been restored so we can have a fellowship meal with the Lord. So when covenants are made, yes, we, we expect to see blood, but then we also expect to see a, a meal, a fellowship meal, because that's what covenant's about. It's a new family relationship established. And with these things, there are symbols, symbols of the covenant that God says, I want you to do these things to help you remember my promises. So symbols of the covenant. Now what happens is that Israel breaks the covenant. The, the covenant and, and um, if you read the Old Testament, and I hope that you do, sometimes you read through it and you get kind of depressed, right? Because it's always talking about like this king and that king, they did not follow the way of the Lord. They broke the covenant like their fathers did. And it's just this cycle of, of the people not treating God as the one and only God, of breaking those covenant oaths. Now, when God makes a covenant, right, what's the whole reason for the dead animals and all that? Is to say, if you break the covenant, then the just consequence is your life will be forfeit. You will be removed from the promised land because the promised land is the land of covenant, right? And so if you're not keeping covenant, you shouldn't be in this land. And so in Deuteronomy 28, God, not only does he give all the blessings of the covenant, he gives all the cursings. And indeed, because Israel, after warning upon warning and prophets and prophets are sent, they keep breaking the covenant. And so God finally says, it's enough. I'm, I'm removing you from the promised land. And prophets like Jeremiah said as much because of the broken covenants. And here's the thing, as the Babylonian Empire is coming and destroying Israel and starting to bring them into exile, just as God had warned, God's not, being, God's not like saying, ha ha, you know, I told you so, any of this stuff. 
He's warning them, but he is also then in the midst where, where, the, where the things look darkest. Like, okay, God warned them. They're doing it. They broke the covenant. This is what has to happen. If God is truly a just God, then he must do this. In the midst of that, as they're being deported to, to Babylon, as, um, again, this, it looks the worst, God makes a new covenant, or he promises a new covenant. So look at this. In, in Jeremiah 31, again, Jeremiah, the whole previous part, Jeremiah's warning, hey, that you broke the covenant, and so God, you know, the destruction's coming. Jeremiah 31 says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on that day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So this speaks of that new covenant. In, right in the middle of when the people are being punished for breaking the covenant, God says, okay, I'm not done. You know, you may, it may feel like I'm done with you. It may feel like that, yeah, you broke your promises, so God is just, and it's over. It's not over, because our God is faithful. And he still has promises that he made to Abraham. And he's going to fulfill those, even if the people don't fulfill their end. And so he says, all right, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. Because you keep breaking it because here's the thing about external laws. And, and, and the, the, the laws of Moses, they, they were good. They were given by God. But the human heart in this fallen world, we have a problem. And that is when someone says, hey, you shouldn't do that. We want to do it more. <laughs> Well, at least we maybe don't want to do it, but we just can't get it out of our heads. I remember when um, our kids were little and, you know, there was knives, right? Knives are sharp. Don't, don't touch the knives. But, man, they kept looking at the knives. They really wanted to touch the knives. <laughs> and before we even mentioned it, they, they didn't pay any attention. But now, oh, I want to touch that knife. And it's the same, and that's the problem with our human heart. So God says, all right, this, you know, you can't keep your end of the covenant, so I'm going to do something inside you that will help you, that will change you from the inside out. I'm promising this new covenant. So even in the midst of it, and that shows God's faithfulness. And much of the Old Testament, it is about human failure to keep covenant. Even the heroes of the faith. Even when we look about Abraham or King David, God made covenants with these people, but we see somehow they didn't quite fulfill it. Somehow they didn't quite, you know, they couldn't perfectly keep the covenant. And so God says, no, I'm, I'm going to promise you something. There's a new covenant coming. All right, so let's fast forward 500 years. <laughs> Jesus, he claims to be bringing the kingdom of God in a new way. That in himself, the promises of God are being fulfilled. And so Jesus is saying, all right, there's this, this new kingdom. And now from past covenants, and I know I went quickly, what would we expect 
if there's a new fulfillment or, or the ushering in of a new covenant, what are some things that we expect to see? Sacrifice, blood sacrifice, and, and maybe even a fellowship meal. And, and so what do we see? Jesus, the night before he was, he was going to go to the cross, in the shadow of the cross, Jesus gathers his followers to prepare them for the new covenant that he's inaugurating in his own blood on the cross the next day. So in Matthew 26, verse 26, it says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You see, this, ma- this meal, this fellowship meal is going to point to the sacrifice of the new covenant, the sacrifice that establishes it. It's Jesus' blood and body that establishes that new covenant. And so Jesus says, I want you, as you walk your walk, I know we need help. We need reminders. So as you walk your walk, I, am go- I, I want you to remember this. I want you to take the, bo- the bread. I want you to take the blood because it's pointing to that sacrifice, my sacrifice. That's why we take the bread. That's why we take the cup. And his own blood is going to be that sacrifice. And And Jesus fulfills all the previous covenant promises because as a descendant of Abraham, Jesus was a descendant of Abraham, that that all the nations through Abraham would be blessed. In Jesus, all the nations of the world will be blessed as it's uh, now anyone who comes to the Lord, no matter from whatever tongue, tribe, or nation, right? they have access to God. He fulfills the promises of Abraham, or he's fulfilling God's promises of this new covenant, that he'll take away their sins and give people a new heart, the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about him next week. And yes, Jesus also fulfills the law covenant, that God had to follow the law, which stated a sacrifice for sins is the means of grace. And so if you sinned, yeah, you could have a substitute, but it was life for life, because this covenant is life or death. And so he gives Christ as the sacrifice once and for all. And all of these things were shadows that pointed to the once and for all sacrifice in Christ. And so, yes, God makes covenants with his people. And we often fail. But God and his love and his grace will do for his people what we can't do for ourselves. God himself and the person of Jesus Christ He fulfills even our end of the covenant. Do you see that one? Jesus, yeah, he's fully God, but he's also fully man. And so he fulfills our end of the covenant. Yes, God is faithful. He's always fulfilled his end of the covenant. But now he says, I'm going to take on human flesh, and I'm going to fulfill the covenant for you, for you and me. He is faithful. And the writer of Hebrews, he explains it this way, that Jesus even fulfills our end of the covenant. He fulfills it all. Uh, Hebrews 10, verse 11, says, Every priest stands daily at the service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. 
But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness for us. For And then he quotes Jeremiah. He quotes this passage from Jeremiah that I already read. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of, the, of, of these, there is no longer any offering for sin necessary. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place uh, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened us through the opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And then look at this, with our hearts sprinkled clean. Remember the sprinkling of blood from Moses? Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. Glory to God, yes. He who promised is faithful. And he's gonna see his promises through. And he did see them through. God is faithful even when we're not. And so, yes, I, I just, I went again on this journey, right, through the ages of God's promises to see that even when people fail, even when we fail in keeping our end of the bargain, God provides. Because what God requires from us, God provides for us. And Jesus is that provision. He is that provision. And that provision, again, it culminates in Jesus on the cross, the blood sacrifice, right? Taking on the covenant curses that were due us. And those split animals in the covenant of Abraham, those animal sacrifices in the, um, in the covenant of Moses, they all point to God's covenant faithfulness. So what's our part? Our part is to draw near with full assurance of faith, trusting in Christ, not trusting in ourselves. And this epic journey that we just went on, it's to show you the enormous and eternal value of God's promises so that we would walk in them, that we would pay attention to them. I mean, this is a worldwide promise. Yes, as individuals, we take God up on his promises, but realize these promises are so much bigger than any one of us. And these promises are so much bigger than just this moment although you can enter into those promises right now. They're eternal. They are eternal. And that what the Lord's Supper is about, it's not just about um, taking a piece of bread and, and taking some wine. They are symbols that point to the epic faithfulness of God. They're meant to be something that we share together. Because God has established our fellowship with him, but also our fellowship with one another. And it's based in Christ's sacrifice. These things are supposed to make us think about Christ's sacrifice. And, and so I invite you to step into those promises today. And I've said these things not just so, I mean, all right, full disclosure, I just downloaded a whole lot of doctrine on you all. <laughs> There's a whole lot of doctrine there. <laughs> but 
this is not just about doctrine. This is affects how we walk. It affects how we walk. Think about the difference between if you enter in a marriage covenant because you're forced to, right? So you're, the, the father-in-law's got a shotgun. You better marry, right? And, I mean, you'll enter into that covenant, but, you know, you're maybe looking for a way to get out of it. You're not happy about it. You're doing it out of fear. But when we look at all of God's covenants, how he is faithful, how he has proved himself faithful for eternity upon eternity, that, I, I, I say that not just to, to blow your mind, but so that your heart would come alive and say, no, I want this covenant. I want to enter into this covenant with God because he is so faithful. Just like when you maybe entered into the covenant of marriage. It wasn't because you were afraid or, or whatever. It's because that person proved themselves faithful. That person, you fell in love with them. And this kind of God, he's a God that we should fall in love with when we look at his promises, when we look at how faithful he is, when we look and see that, man, even when I messed up, he gave his life for me. That's the kind of God that I can fall in love with. That's the kind of God that I want to remember. I want to have an anniversary meal with him every time we gather because he's so faithful and we want to celebrate that. And that's what the Lord's Supper is. And again, I don't have time to talk too much about baptism, but that's the time, that's like that initiation ceremony. So if you've never been baptized, but you, you, you know you love God, you know you've accepted Jesus and he's your sacrifice and you're taking him up on his promises, um, then I would invite you to talk to me about baptism. But what we do today, when we take the Lord's Supper, that's remembering, that's remembering his sacrifice. And so, yes, yeah, some people, when they um, take the bread and cup, like we call it the Lord's Supper, but other traditions call it um, communion. And when they call it communion, they do that because it's remembering that we have communion with God. We can have a fellowship meal with him because of what he did. Others call it the Eucharist, right? That's from the Greek word eucharisto, which means to give thanks, where we take this to give thanks for what? For Christ's sacrifice that he has established and made the covenant for us. And so why ever or however we call it, we, it's a remembrance of God's faithfulness. And we take it, and let's open up the bread part. We take it, because, yeah, you know, as Baptists, we're, we're not that ritualistic. We're kind of low church people. But Jesus ordered us <laughs> to take the bread and cup because he knows these are symbols. These are symbols that point to his sacrifice. So we read that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And he, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body which has been broken for you. Take, eat the bread in remembrance of Christ. Then, Jesus took the cup, 
And he says, this is the, the blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And so when we take this cup, we do it in remembrance of his shed blood, his sacrifice to cover our sins so that we're right with God. So we take and we drink this cup in remembrance of Jesus' shed blood on the cross. Take, drink, in remembrance of him. Let's pray. Dear God, we've taken the bread and we've taken the cup. And Lord, these symbols that we've taken, Lord, it's not just a ritual. We take it because we are remembering and we are celebrating. We're thankful and we're fellowshipping with you, God, that it's possible that we can have fellowship with the almighty God because of your sacrifice. Lord, we are in awe of your faithfulness. We're in awe that even though we broke the covenant, even though our ancestors broke the covenant, Lord, you kept it for us through Christ. Lord, we are rejoicing in all that you've done. And we remember and we pray, Lord, that as we walk our walk, as we go about this week, we would not do it on our own power, but we would be walking in your promises. Lord, we would be rock walking in your broken body and shed blood and that would give us a power beyond ourselves, promises beyond ourselves. Lord, your presence beyond ourselves. Thank you for your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness, O oh God, our Father. Amen.